I was sick with stomach pains and a fever of 101 degrees that wouldn't drop. Chad had to work, and I sent Wyatt to Andre's house to hopefully prevent him from catching my illness. I lay on the leather couch in our living room and stared at the ceiling. There was something so special about our house. Even when the three levels were empty of visitors, the structure bustled with fullness, alive with a comfortable energy. On that day, though, the house felt painfully vacant, so incredibly void of life that I swore I heard the lonesome structure weeping. Or maybe it was the winter sleet shower outside. Either way, we were alone, the house and me. With my body hunched forward and my right hand cradling my stomach, I wearily climbed the stairs toward our bedroom and the comfort of our king-size bed. With each step, the house let out a croak of despair, and like a rehearsed duo, I matched each note with a moan of my own. At the top of the stairs, I bypassed our bedroom and headed straight to Wyatt's room, Isabel's room. I didn't even know what to call the room anymore. Isabel's name still decorated the wall above the crib, along with Wyatt's name below, and a few pink accents helped to keep her memory alive without making the room appear too girly. I shuffled across the wooden floor to the dresser and touched the small, silver jewelry box with Isabel's name and baptism date engraved on the front. Inside, I found the white plastic rings that were fastened around her newborn ankles the day we brought her home. I sniffed the plastic pieces and I smelled nothingness, synthetic, man-made materials, emptiness, sadness, definitely not the smell of Isabel. These items of hers, they were just things. They couldn't coo or swat at my earrings or fall asleep on my chest. They couldn't even smell like her, and that's what I needed, to be reminded of her smell. I gasped, horrified that I couldn't remember her scent. It had only been a year and a half, too soon to let even the tiniest detail slip away. The hot flash of fear sent me on a rampage throughout the house that, in the end, would be life-changing. The house's walls trembled with each of my sobs, and when I pushed open the pocket door to the upstairs closet, where we kept a trio of pink bins that stored the evidence of Isabel's four months of existence, the house seemed to bellow with me. Clothes, toys, baby bottles, number two unused diapers. I pulled out a pink and white quilted baby blanket with the words, Some Bunny Loves You on the front, and a picture of a floppy-eared rabbit on the back. I held the blanket close to me, smelled it, but again, no smell. I turned quickly and moved into my office just down the hall, the door screeching before it hit the wall with a thud. I scooped up the three pictures of Isabel I kept on my desk and carried them with the blanket to our bedroom. Please, God, I whispered, pressing my eyes closed. Please let me hold my baby again. I reasoned that if I could just hold her one more time, rub my lips across her forehead and take in her baby scent. I would commit that feeling and her smell to memory, maintain it somehow. 
I would never be so careless as to let my mind forget again. I opened my eyes, but nothing happened. So I rushed to my closet, searched the top shelf with my fingertips, and pulled down the pair of ratty jeans I'd worn in the hospital. Then I found the black and white tank top and put that on, too. Chill bumps stood at attention on my arms. The house began to sway and the walls seemed to step forward, closing in around me. I melted like silly putty into a fetal position, then crawled into bed with my pictures and the blanket, and I sobbed. I sobbed because I missed her. I sobbed because she would miss so much. I sobbed because her life was too short and the rest of my life was too long. Only the house knows when I fell asleep, but I awoke with a start an hour later.